Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to another sleep-deprived episode of Chillin' in the State House. That's about forty-five percent of them. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, the weekly Chill Kansas Government and Politics podcast. I am Andrew Ball of the Topeka Capital Journal, joined as always by my colleague and better half, Jason Tidd. Jason, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I uh, slept in this morning, unlike you. Well, that's because you're working on Saturday, so you got enough problems to worry about. We are joined, as always, by our well-caffeinated friend from the Associated Press, John Hanna. John, how are you? I'm doing fine, and and I brought my coffee with me. It's keeping me sentient at this hour. (laughs) Not, Not quite Skynet, but, you know, getting there. Well, I, I like it when you bring drinks into the podcast studio with you because it gives, you know, those like live jazz albums from, you know, like the... Uh, yeah, from the, like the 50s clubs. and 60s. From your childhood. Yeah, uh, I'm not quite that old, but that was the Precambrian age. I'm I'm Jurassic, okay? Well, and, uh, and, and you know what? Disappointingly, nobody offered an amendment to name ne- me as the state land fossil when that <laughs> bill came up. I was waiting for it. Well, that's right. That was that's what we spent all week covering, folks, was at, at the behest of some school children from Goddard. Uh, we are trying to get a new land fossil. We do have, and for those out there, land and marine fossils, but, you know... Do we have to split now? Or an air air marine fossil? I, air marine? Can we get a soil fossil soon? I, I was thinking if we have air marine, a fruit land, fossil, we need like a space, like all the different <laughs> military branches. We we could have the we could have the state ancient seed or you know the state pottery shard or you know stuff like that. If you are an elementary school teacher and want to employ us as consultants, don't do it. <laughs> Stop this. <laughs> you can tell we're even punchier than usual. <laughs> there, there are two things. There are two things, and this is the cranky old Jurassic, Jurassic Age guy in me. There are two things I would stop if I could wave a wand. The first is teachers trying to teach their kids about the legislature by having them name the state X. And the second thing is, are these bets over sports ball championships between politicians? Stop it, people. Stop it. John clearly does not like pretzels, donuts, and Philly cheesesteaks. Well, are any of those the state of Kansas anything? 
<laughs> well, they're, they're Governor Kelly's bounty from the Chiefs' victory in the Super Bowl, which she got earlier this week, and we awkwardly took photos of her holding them up. And and they're being donated, right? She's at least donating them? She was giving it to the legislature and the sergeant-at-arms in respective chambers as they were here. Okay, well, the sergeant-at-arms staff, they deserve it. They work hard. Uh, yes, they work hard, and and you know they're out in front and on the floor in every debate, no matter how dull. One of the sergeant at arms was honored this week, wasn't he? I think the uh, first and longest serving African American sergeant at arms was that um, in the House, right? I believe so. Yeah, very cool. That, that was, I thought that was a nice touch. I, I appreciate any debate that does not involve a call of the House or call of the Senate where the sergeant-at-arms <laughs> keep us in. Yes. Uh, and some at some point in this session, we'll probably be able to explain the call of the House or the call of the oh, Senate. Yes. We are glad that that was not needed yesterday. I mean, there was that moment with the House, I believe, but uh, that was temporary, right? Yeah. And the reason why we are sleep-deprived, as we discussed on last week's podcast, this was the busiest week yet of the legislative session. Turn around. (laughs) Jason successfully got uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart stuck in my head after I did an homage in last week's podcast title, so thanks, man. Um, Boy, there was a one-hit wonder. (laughs) What movie, what movie, that was that, that was not, uh, was that Footloose? That is also pre my birth, so. Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> which which generation are you guys from? Are you Z? We're millennials? We're millennials. Millennials. Yeah. Just, millennials. Just tail end. Tail end of millennials. Well, I'm the tail end of the baby boom. Everything is my fault. You know, okay, boomer. You are allowed to say okay, boomer. <laughs> Um, what was not John's Speaking fo- of boomers, <laughs> let's talk about Ooh, the legislature. Okay, that was not how it was going to transition. But um, <laughs> what was not John's fault was that the House and Senate were on keeping late hours on the floor on Wednesday and Thursday. Really more the week. Senate, though. The Senate was really burning the midnight oil, and they were focused most heavily. They were doing a lot of stuff. Uh, anti-trans rights bills, which if you want to hear more about, listen to last week's podcast. By, by the way, Midnight Oil was a late 80s, early 90s Australian band. They were really into aboriginal rights. I have a couple of albums. Um, John will be here all night. Their big hit was called Beds Are Burning. Well... Uh, you know, I'm not even going to try and transition off that. Um, the, the big thing in the Senate, some, though, some people who don't like what the legislature has done this week would <laughs> say, beds are burning. Uh, Jason, you know, you are our tax man, and not because you're collecting the taxes, it's because you're writing about them. Um, you want to walk us through, like at a at a 10,000-foot level, kind of how things played out with how your pocketbooks might be affected yeah, or so, not, as the case may be. <laughs> so uh, Thursday was tax day in the Kansas Senate, the seemingly uh, once a year time that the Senate decides to put all these tax policies on the tax Christmas tree and uh, put basically as many tax positions as possible uh, on the table going into conference committees in a month from now. Uh, meanwhile, the House really does not take up tax policy at this point in the session. 
So the Senate, uh, the biggest thing they did is the flat tax. This is not the same proposal that the chamber had. It's actually a lower percentage. Right, 4.75, right? Right. But because it only touches personal income taxes, not corporate uh, and privileged taxes, uh, it and there's some other moving parts within the legislation it actually comes in much cheaper than what the chamber's proposal was uh, so the flat tax had a lot of debate uh, for a moment senator tom holland a democrat from baldwin city tried to get a progressive tax plan put in and uh senate president ty masterson the republican from andover I gave an impassioned speech saying that Kansas should not be like California and basically saying this is too late and we're too tired to debate this uh, and you are not making friends by trying to do this tax policy. Didn't he he describe the... As pulling it out of his rear end. Yes, yes. Um, The Senate was also getting punchy. Yes. Uh, And then the... Christmas tree bill was the social security tax plan. Uh, if you were following the governor's election, as I'm sure you all were, since you listened to this podcast, <laughs> uh, both uh, gubernatorial candidates had ideas for how to cut taxes on social security benefits. Uh, that has long been a topic of discussion, especially for Senator Karen Tyson, the Republican from Parker, and the Senate's top tax guru. Wasn't that also an idea from Dennis Pyle, the conservative independent uh, senator, former the caucus Canada, of one, the caucus of one, the <laughs> former, the former, the the designated Republican scapegoat for Laura Kelly's victory? Um, the bet noir the bet noir of of the republican party now we're just on fire today so we kelly's plan would have uh smoothed out the cliff which would have been like roughly 15 16 million dollars a year instead uh the tyson plan was to fully exempt social security benefits which is much more costly than senator mike thompson the republican from shawnee got an amendment on to fully exempt all retirement benefits. Then Tyson added on three more amendments, uh, one dealing with standard deductions. Holland, after decrying the uh, Christmas treeization of the tax bill, ended up getting one of his own policies added on. And by the time Marcy Francisco tried to amend it to take it back to Kelly's original proposal, uh, it was too late, and Masterson was characterizing that as a tax increase to uh, pare back the tax cuts. Uh, so what all things considered between the, the Christmas tree bill and the flat tax. Is, it was, and, and is the it, food it, sales it, tax what, and a couple other. I, I got to ask, that doesn't sound like a Christmas tree. It sounds like a whole forest of Christmas trees. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the tree, as, the, as I mean it's a bigger Christmas tree than there is in Rockefeller Center, right? <laughs> as I mean, our resident historian, why is it called a Christmas tree? Because... Yeah, because you're hanging lots of ornaments on it. You just you uh, you have a you have a plain tree of a bill, and then you just start adding things. And this is this is uh, it should be noted that this kind of process is what resulted in the original 2012 
uh, first installment of the Brownback tax cutting experiment. They had a bill that was a big income tax cut. The next year you'd get a modification in the slow march to zero, as uh, the governor called it then, Brownback. And what happened was they had his income tax cuts in a bunch of pay-fors, and over time they stripped out the pay-fors and did some other things. And so you had this monster tax cut, if I'm remembering it was fully phased in somewhere around $800 million a year, uh, which was pretty big 10 years ago. And uh, people sat around saying, oh, no, 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 they'll fix it in conference. No, 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 it'll, you know, they're never going to pass that. And as soon as those last words came out of somebody's mouths, the House voted to concur and sent it to the governor who signed it. Well, and, and for what it's worth, a lot of people compared the flat tax plan. Well, a, a lot of Democrats uh, compared the well, flat it's not tax quite ban the same thing. to uh, Brownback 2.0. And you're right that it's not the same thing. And Republicans were quick to point that out. And uh, the, the the difference, the, the, the thing people forget about the Brownback tax experiment is there was this provision uh, known as the LLC exemption. If you pass through income from your handy LLC to your personal income taxes, that became exempt. Uh, it was it was hard to calculate when it passed how much of a tax break that was. Uh, it remained elusive in the five years it was on the books. And um, it really, really fueled the budget shortfalls, the thinking was anyway. And one of the issues there was that the doctor would it, the doctor would not have to pay income taxes on the income from doc, medical partnership, but her secretary would because the secretary was getting paid, paid wages. So that was a big difference that's not here, but that I mean, lowering having a single rate of four point seven five percent—that's still pretty pretty high cost in annual revenues, or you know, to flip it, savings for taxpayers. Well, my, my tracking of all the tax bills that were passed last night or ornamented on top of each other uh, puts the total cost of tax cuts passed by the Senate yesterday at pushing three billion dollars over three years so it's about a billion dollars a year on average pretty close to that yeah which is maybe 11 or 12 percent of all the revenues general fund revenues that the state collects if i'm remembering the last consensus revenue estimates well and we should we should also add i want to get to the point that, that kind of none of this really matters on some level but also they passed a bill to speed up the elimination of the state sales tax on groceries and just do away with the local sales tax on groceries yeah, that that was not the original plan of that bill no uh, that, that bill from senate president ty masterson uh was supposed to fully exempt both state and local sales taxes on healthy foods uh the reason for the bill was kind of three-pronged first incentivize healthy foods second uh fully exempt it so that way there's no local sales tax either and then third because you are now rolling back the 
uh, food I, sales I, tax cut from last year, you are now introducing more money to help with the flat tax. Well, and, and I'm over here when you said nothing really matters. I had a portion of uh, Queen. Queen Bohemian Ram. Nothing Ramble. really matters. Yes. To me. Da, na, 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 da. Well, and then when you said healthy food, this will mean nothing to you. But people who have people who have raised kids who are in their late 20s right now there was a song that barney the big purple dinosaur did that was about snacking on healthy foods so you're saying ty masterson is barney i didn't say that <laughs> is that libelous per se to compare somebody to barney i i explicitly I explicitly am not comparing the Senate president to Barney. The lawyers will appreciate that. Jason, do you want to explain, not to get too existential here, why none of this matters? Because uh, so, I know this is a pet peeve It actually you. matters a little in that legislators are discussing these things and throwing these ideas out, and now these things are clearly solidly in the mix. But... I mean, it, it is very likely, or at least based on uh, past uh, history in the legislature, that we won't have final tax policy until late in the session when the House and Senate each pick their three finest to go to battle in the conference committee and negotiate out their various positions. And negotiate out what leadership wants. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, it, Each side will present the directions from their top leaders, and then they'll say talk. that. The, I mean, that's a, that's, that's basically what happens. What happens right? Yes, yeah. and, and the Senate, it was acknowledged by at least some uh, in the building that they needed to get all these various ornaments onto the Christmas tree, so that way they could have positions going into conference committee. Uh, Basically, what will happen is these six people will get together. They'll work with the Senate president and then the House speaker. And between probably those people, they will pick and choose uh, the the number, you know, anywhere from 18 to 40 provisions and stuff them into anywhere from one to three bills. And technically. And then debate them at two in the morning. Technically, all these bills, uh, you're supposed to have had pass a chamber and meet the rules to be conferenceable. Uh, in reality, sometimes they pull things out of thin air or, as the Senate president said, out of your rear end. Uh, like last year's food sales tax bill was pretty much crafted out of nothing. Yeah, the, the rules in the legislature are basically what a majority of people in each chamber say they are at a given moment. Germain, yeah. Germain. In the Germaine. Senate, it's known as the rule of 21. In the House, it's the rule of 63. So we have that to look forward to. Well, my, my uh, working title for the podcast was Attacks and Attacks, because at least as some people might portray it, there were attacks on trans people, election rights, public health. And the Kansas Governmental Ethics Commission. Yeah. So uh, take your pick. Of which one of these uh, proverbial attacks? Well, we should we should we should talk about um, probably the election spills and this ongoing fight against the the fraud that doesn't exist in Kansas elections. Oh, I thought we were going to talk about the ethics commission. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. 
So, so you want elections first? Uh, I mean, I this was pre Wednesday and Thursday, but I found it fascinating that we had in the same room uh, Chris Kobach, the former Secretary of State taking one perspective on a bill, then current Secretary of State Scott Schwab taking a different perspective on the bill, and then the Republican Party Chair Mike Brown sending in written testimony taking a yet third different perspective on the And of course, bill. Mike Brown ran for Secretary of State against Scott Schwab and lost the primary to him. So you had the previous Secretary of State, the existing Secretary of State, and a guy who wanted to be Secretary of State. Yeah, very interesting. That was ballot drop boxes. And, and of course, Scott Schwab is a major fan of ballot drop boxes. In the 2022 election, there were 167 of them scattered through, I think, 85 counties. Roughly a little less than 12,000 registered voters per box. In some counties, uh, it got down below 2,000 registered voters per box. And the House has a bill essentially to let the Secretary of State regulate drop boxes. So the House position is basically drop boxes are okay. The Senate, though, uh, Andrew, what happened there? Yeah, the Senate initially had a bill that would have really strictly limited them. I mean, uh, opponents of the bill say that they would have the bill would have effectively rendered them useless, saying you can only have one and it has to be at the county elections office and monitored. Only open during yes. Only open during business hours, and then they kind of just went to the next logical step, which is they amended the bill to just ban the drop boxes entirely. And and really, that approach—if you don't like drop boxes—that approach is just much simpler. Yeah. Um. You know, one if if if, I mean, one has to admire the just the purity of that position. It's not that it's less hard to explain, I guess. Well, in both the House and Senate, the thing they could agree on is ending the so-called three-day grace period, which I know I think we've talked about on the air before. But if you are voting with your advance ballot and you you're, it is postmarked by Election Day, it has currently until the Friday following the election, three days later, to get to the county elections office. Um, really predicated, John, as you said earlier, on allegations of fraud yeah, that is- are that are not grounded in reality that are yeah, baseless the, the, completely baseless there are there there is no indication there are a lot of theories on how ballot drop box could be tampered with uh you know could you blow them up and throw them into a river or well, whatever well, it, things that have not been recorded as happening and the and the three-day grace period arguments i think are even the, the argument is basically because the results change as these ballots come in people might think there's fraud going well, on and, when in reality the the results change right up and until that, they're finalized that is, that is an indication of this continued hold that these baseless election conspiracy theories have on the Republican mind, even if the lawmakers in question don't buy into them. The fact is they think people have lost confidence or enough people have lost confidence in elections well, because it's because this stuff keeps getting repeated over and over. I mean, for one thing, you know, for example, in the 2020 presidential election, uh, then president, now former president Trump made a big deal about ballots being counted after midnight on Election Day as if that was some nefarious suspect 
practice when, in fact, it's been going on since the beginning of the Republic. The reason he didn't like it was in a bunch of battleground states, the Democrats were voting later more by mail, and so their votes were going to be counted later, and the election was going to swing. And everybody, everybody understood that was going to happen. It was that there was, you know, there was nothing fraudulent, nothing suspect about that. It was just how everybody understood how the vote was going to come in. Just like in the old days in Kansas, you understood you were going to get the urban vote, what passes for urban in Kansas first, and the rural vote way out west later because of differences in counting and machines versus paper, all of that. So you understood that if the Republican candidate for governor had a significant lead at 930, that lead was likely to hold up as the returns from Western Kansas came in. And nobody sat around and suggested that was suspect because it's not. And, And to be fair to the Republicans who are talking about this. I mean, Paul Wagoner, who's a conservative from Hutchinson, said there's nothing there's n- nothing magical about three days. And there, uh, in terms of what states do, there really isn't. I mean, 31, according to NCSL, require a mail-in ballot to be to arrive on election day. And there's some with you know some Western states that have significantly longer deadlines. I think. Illinois is like 10 days, if I'm remembering. But the point is, different states have different uh, rules, and a lot of them, most of them, it's election day. But the reason, the reason they did it in 2017 in Kansas was that they were concerned the Postal Service was restructuring mail sorting, and they understood that was going to slow down the delivery of mail ballots. So and they it, added and it three did. days. And, and what was funny is Republicans voted for that unanimously in 2017. There was not a single Republican vote against that idea. Now, it was part of a big elections bill, but literally no Republican voted against that elections bill, the final version of it. And now there's still 44 Republicans in the House and the Senate together who are still in the legislature, and 34 of them voted for this bill to get rid of the grace period. And the big difference is the wide circulation of these baseless election conspiracy theories within the Republican Party. I was... Summed it up very well, I would say. So, I mean, it's just, it's an idea that has caught on and it's sticking. And it seems like for now, uh, no amount of fact-based reporting will dislodge it. Thinking of the Republican Party and elections, the Ethics Commission. Yeah, I I do want to talk about this briefly because we haven't yet on the podcast and it's pretty interesting and i'm frankly surprised it hasn't gotten more national attention your story of the associated press this week notwithstanding um not a bill that was voted on the floor but republicans in the house or the house elections committee advanced a, a bill authored by republicans that would i mean pick your adjective here neuter 
render the most, impotent. The most neutral way you can say it is it would significantly reduce the power of the ethics commission. It could no longer, it would no longer be able to independently issue subpoenas. It would have to go to a district judge. If you had a hearing before the ethics commission, you could ask to have it moved to an administrative law judge, basically. And um, the number, the amount of money you could be fined would be limited. You couldn't, for example, have a $100,000 fine, which has happened once, I think, in the history of the Ethics Commission. Well, and the Ethics Commission also says the changes to the campaign finance law would make the campaign finance law look like Swiss cheese. Yeah, that that was the argument. And 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 to kind of give a thumbnail of what's going on, for at least a year, the Ethics Commission has been investigating uh, Republican campaign activities from 2020. There have been various hints of what's that about, what that is about. Uh, the commission issued subpoenas a year ago. We know of at least seven people who got them. It's likely a, a significantly larger number than that. The subpoenas we saw asked for all the communications uh, from at least 20 people for the last seven months of 2020, including emails, texts, and social media messages. The list of people they wanted your communications, if you got one of these from that list, include Ty, included Ty Masterson, the Senate president, and his communications director. Uh, but of, uh, as I said, it was at least 20 plus. Uh, clearly, they weren't getting the documents because then in late August, the commission filed motions in district court here to get those subpoenas enforced. And they did not file those under no, seal. No, they did not file those under seal. And then in October, an attorney for several of the people who got the subpoenas not only filed an answer about why they should be quashed and why they were a bad deal, he also appended a copy of each subpoena and the finding of facts that the commission issued. And in those findings of facts, the commission listed a series of transactions that appeared to show national GOP funds, I think about $34,000, $35,000, going from a national group into various committees and then eventually to the state party and then legislative candidates. and Alleging basically they were trying to, for get, one, get around campaign campaign finance law dictating how much limits on how much can be given. From well, and, and, and then during some of the court hearings, there was a suggestion that there's a Republican consultant who is kind of in the middle of this and might be a target. And, and also, I think the coordination potentially yeah. between some of these groups. The, and, and of course, the problem is this has been going on. I mean, the problem for us as journalists, I guess, is the way to put it. Um, and, and of course, the attorneys for the people who are kind of getting the subpoenas and who are appear to be the targets, the problem for their, their frustration is that this has been going on a year. But the bottom line is there, there doesn't appear that there hasn't been a complaint that spells out what any of the people who got the subpoenas or what this consultant or what anybody else is alleged to have done. And so this subpoena gate as some people call it uh we really have coinciding. to come you know we really have to come up if 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 
maybe maybe we shouldn't try to figure out any name yet because we haven't seen any complaints but you know if it ever gets to the point where there are complaints we have to come up with a better name than just appending gate to it uh, so subpoena gate as a placeholder uh is coinciding <laughs> you with really the, like it's, that <laughs> it, it, it coincides with this attempt to nuke the ethics commission well and the uh, to be f- i mean there the the counter argument that i have heard from various parties both people you know attorneys people who are subjected to this and i'm sure there was testimony about this was that the ethics commission is being first very aggressive and very creative in its discussion of what counts as for example giving in the name of another person um which is illegal you i can't give jason money and say hey jason give this money to andrew uh that is illegal because i'm getting around a campaign finance limit if i do that um you know coordination is i i'm the candidate i can't go to jason's pack and say hey jason let's work together and you can do an ad that helps me and you know uh that's also illegal so i mean all of those all of those kinds of issues are at play here and there's a discussion but of course what's got everybody's attention is this bill that overhauls the ethics commission and changes possibly the very campaign finance laws that are issue in the investigation and so that's just you know your eyes i mean i uh some of the older critics of the bill were uh and making analogies to the this is the 50th anniversary of the u.s senate hearings into watergate so there was some of that analogy floating around well We've, <laughs> we've exhausted ourselves. My lips are tired. Almost as tired as my brain. Well, we should get you some rest. Jason, we definitely need to get you some rest. Yeah, we're, we're, we're looking forward to the legislature being away for a bit. Uh, they, they rushed through things on Thursday. Well, maybe not rushed through it, but they, they worked late into the evening to give themselves not a three-day weekend, but a five-day weekend, because lawmakers well, that will, that won't will, be back until Wednesday, March 1st. That will give them plenty of time to see some new movies, uh, The Cocaine Bear, <laughs> uh, the one about the bear that the cocaine drug smugglers lose their cocaine in the forest and the bear snorts it all. March 1st is also when the new season of Survivor comes out. That's and right. And I, I never really understood the concepts of Survivor. Didn't really think it applied to real life and then I came to this building Yes, and it became much more interesting. March oh, 1st Jason. is also when uh, Star Wars uh, Mandalorian new season drops Excellent. on ESPN+. Excellent. Plus. Excellent. Jason, I was going to say ESPN in terms Plus, of Survivor, this, uh, this is me going to be the Cranky old man, this is nothing like 2015 or 2017. You want Survivor, you need to have a 40-day wrap-up. Okay, that's Survivor stuff. Let's hope that does not happen again. Because people get really cranky. If you want to go read all our written work about everything that happened 
turnaround week, you can head on over to cjonline.com or follow us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Uh, we're at Twitter, at cjonline. Uh, that's also our Instagram handle. And Jason, if they want to find you, where are you at on Twitter? I'll be at Jason underscore Tid. Don't tweet at Jason next week. He'll be off for a couple of days. Uh, tweet at me instead. I'm at Andrew Ball, B-A-H-L. And John, where can they find you? At A-P-J-D Hannah. And then my my stuff is www.apnewsbacks.com backslash the hand motion Kansas. Also, I might take some time this weekend to see this movie. Apparently, Winnie the Pooh is now public domain. And somebody has made a movie called, I think, Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey, in which Winnie the Pooh and Piglet, the two characters in the public domain, are serial killers. Okay, never mind. I, I would not see that. I like Winnie the Pooh too much. To... <laughs> so, you know, uh, that's just, ruined. That, is just, that is just weird and stupid enough to want to see. You're going to see that over Cocaine Bear? No, I'll see Cocaine Bear too. <laughs> I'd rather just watch the K-State basketball game. But I'll be at the Democratic Party convention. Yeah, well, I, I you that's know. That's where the real entertainment will that, be. That's where the blood and honey will be. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Woo boy, yes, you're going to have a fun time there, Jason. Fun. <laughs> if, uh, if in between Cocaine Bear and, uh, and sociopathic honey. Winnie the Pooh, <laughs> you want to listen to some podcasts, you can go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Uh, did, have you ever seen the movie Surf Nazis Must Die or The Toxic Aven- Avenger? I cannot say that I have. Oh, you ha- you young people have missed, missed out if you've not si- seen either one of those. <laughs> There's a stage play version of Toxic Avenger, by the way. Go watch that. Then listen to our old podcasts. And you want to listen to our old podcasts. J- Jason. Andrew John. <laughs> Jason Andrew. Gentlemen, a pleasure as always, even though this might have been the most out-of-pocket <laughs> Children of the State House episode Yeah, we got kind of random here, didn't It's not we? our fault. If you want higher quality podcast content, <laughs> oh, no, call no, your no, legislator no, no. No, this and is ask a... them to get off at a <laughs> decent time. This is a very high quality podcast. Nobody who does a State House podcast has this much fun. That is true. And we are not even stoned. This is a very <laughs> legal podcast. John, if you say it like that, you make it sound like we are stoned. <laughs> the Highway Patrol might be knocking on the door. All right. I Anthony, can hear him. Anthony Mativi will have a warrant for us. I can hear him at the door. It's time for us to go. Have a good one, y'all. Quick, flush the toilet. We'll see you all next week. Same time, same place. See ya. <laughs> gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. 
from the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.